You are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I am here with my dad, Erwin McManus. Hey, good morning, bud. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles, California. It really is such a beautiful day. And you came over the house that I'm renting, and we watched the sunset yesterday and the Knicks in Brooklyn game. That that was probably the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. I know. We were both frothing. It was, it was gorgeous. But, frothing. But, but I did think it's interesting. Frothing is a surfing term when you're just like, <laughs> yeah, sick, bro. The waves are smashing. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be one of those podcasts, isn't it? <laughs> no, I just think the world is heavy. It's It was a hard week. We did the last pod. We're, we, have, we have gotten an overwhelming amount of positive response. Um, and so I just want to say thank you to every person who listened, who commented, who messaged, who shared, who wrote letters. Thank you to to even like friends' moms who reached out and were just like, I wrote you a letter and notes, and I just want to send this to you. And it's just someone really dropped good. off an anonymous typed out letter at our house. Yeah, don't do it that. Was so encouraging. Don't do that. Yeah, just sign it. Just sign it. Tell Let us your us name. Know who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Let us know who you are if you if you know where we live. <laughs> <laughs> but but um but beyond that, I, we wanted to change it up a little bit today. I do want to give like a teaser because. We do have some interesting topics we would like to talk about in the next few weeks, but today we're going to keep it lighthearted. Well, it seems like we've gone back and forth between politics and and church. Yeah. And we don't want this to be only about politics and church. We wanted to talk about so many other things. And Yes. And, and uh, you can only take the weight of heavy every single time where you need to just take a step back and take a deep breath and... Yeah, so I, I do. So let's tease the topics we want to talk about in the future that we're not going to talk about today. I want to talk about STDs. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about socially transmitted diseases. Oh. And how well, I think is interesting, right? Yeah, we'll do a sound effect there. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I do not want side effects to STDs. Thank no, you. <laughs> no, no, no. I would prefer that. that. But, but I do but, think that's an interesting topic to talk about how social media the social ramifications of the media and how it is a transmitted disease currently. That's, I think, uh, a huge conversation that we'll be able to have almost on any week because it's a systemic cultural problem. I have another episode idea. Who is the dictator? Because there's been a lot of language that's been used that's, that's like, you know, Trump is the dictator. Mm-hmm. But then I thought it was really interesting because me and Brooke were arguing about whether she's the thought leader or not. Not Brooke, but the person we were referring to. Because, but I'm not going to refer to her. Because Brooke is a thought leader. Brooke is not a thought a leader. Thought leader. <laughs> but you're thoughtful, and you're a leader, and you're a leader. I'll take those separately. Okay. Um, but no, no. But we were talking about uh, someone tweeted a, a really well-known celebrity tweeted the who is the real dictator. I want to pull the actual tweet up because I'm paraphrasing. But who is the real dictator? The person that was our former president, or the people who censored him on Twitter. And are banning him and deleting his accounts, which is very interesting. And one thing you can know from Latin America, which is where I'm from, all of it, is that the choices you move, you the choices you make to remove one dictator, may be the actual material that costs you your free, your freedom with the next dictator. Mm. And so we have to be careful because we can be trying to right a wrong, and we actually create wrongs 
by trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And that, that's a part of the dynamic that we're in right now when we're looking at uh, using censorship as a way of trying to stop more, you know, negative behavior or negative uh, actions. But in the long run, we've abdicated certain freedoms that we always considered to be really sacred and invaluable. So that's, a, I think, a really important conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, I also think that on a side note, maybe having a conversation about um, what do you do when you have a job that you don't enjoy? Yeah. And um, how to make it enjoyable. How do you make it enjoyable or the ways you can do that? And right, Tess, and that, would that be a good subject, oh, right? Dang, you really <laughs> probably, he really called you out by name. <laughs> you want to jump? Let's get you another mic. And talk to us. Um, because one of the things that, you know, years ago, I just really had to come to grips with when people would talk about my job, is it meaningful? And I go, do you need to find a job with meaning or do you need to bring meaning to your job? And I think we could have a whole conversation generationally about um, I listen to people. No one ever talks about having a career. Everybody talks about having a job. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, yeah. old school, you ha you went for a career. Yeah. And it seems like now, um, generationally, people go, well, what I'm doing right now is it's almost like it's it's a it's a parenthetical, I don't like this job. That's not what I'm doing long term. Yeah. And so we never actually find a way to be content with what we're doing. Yeah. And you've experienced that. Yeah. Like every day. <laughs> I've worked great. I've worked really great, horrible jobs where people would like, people would love to have the job I've had. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, just wait till you get it. <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> so um, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, okay. so, so many subjects. And, and right. you know, of course, we have the first president who's been impeached twice. And I he think didn't do it once. If you can't get he it right the first it time, try again. <laughs> and, uh, he, did, but, he did it twice. And I, I want to wait a few weeks, maybe a few months, to be able to look at this retrospectively and and make some assessments of where our culture is and where we're going. Yeah. Where are we going? Do, do, do you want to stay here? I don't. <laughs> and, uh, I would like to go somewhere. And I, I, I'm really curious to see the information. There was a season in Los Angeles where for every three people moving into LA, four people were moving out. I think this year is the first year where the population of California has actually decreased. Wait, but it would have been decreasing the other way too. Yes, it was in LA. No, no, but you know, yeah, you for said, every three people moving in, four people were moving out. So we were losing people in LA. Yep. But not California. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is the first year in all of California. The history. Yeah. that California has ever declined in population. And so California is declining. And you saw, I don't know if you saw this, but um, the California legislature was talking about trying to find ways to tax people who have, live in LA minimally have you heard about this? 60 days a year. And also, yeah. can they keep taxing people for up to a decade who leave um, California and move somewhere else? And is there a way they could pass a law to keep taxing anyone who ever lived here? And the reason they're doing that is they know that the I don't want to pay taxes. No, the, the well, the, the I want to pay being, the taxes that I'm supposed to pay. Well, want to pay. Suppose it's relative. There's some people who think you should. You're supposed to pay ninety percent. No, <laughs> and uh, some people think you, you're supposed to pay fifteen percent. Uh, and that becomes the the debate. I like those people. And so what's Which happening is those? California is losing its wealth, and it's and it's. One of the most enjoyable, favorable places to live in terms of weather and oceans and mountains. and It's beautiful. It, it's a beautiful place to live. Yeah. Um, but 
the way California is being governed is driving out its wealth. And this is what happened to Detroit is um, Detroit basically established certain political frameworks. And so the people who had wealth left Detroit and, and gutted it and had no, um, had no income base from which to tax people. So you can keep taxing people until you drive them out. And, um, and so unless all of the United States has an equal tax system, they're going to move to Wyoming or, or where's a good place the to go. The difference between Detroit and California or Michigan and California is the fact that California is nothing like Michigan. Michigan's beautiful, by the way. No, no, beautiful. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. But I'm saying, but freezing in the winter, which California is not. Right. And we have a coastal line that is sprawling, which I think yeah. is, you know, whether you want to look at it or not, we are, you pay for the nicest stuff, I guess. And, and Detroit was um, built on the auto industry, which, you know, was devastated. And California or Los Angeles is built on the movie industry, which probably will always have a future, but, but not, but not necessarily currently. the theaters. Yeah, it's being devastated right now. Yeah. And so in 2008, when there was a writer's strike and then the recession, we saw so many people living, leaving Los Angeles. So I'm going to be really interested to see what the percentage of, of um, temporary Angelinos that have left in 2020 and will leave in 2021. Uh, I would like to go. Oh, I know. I we know. talk about it all the time. Like, I love my friends here, and I love my family here, and that's why I like it here. But I also like the mountains, and I like the snow, and I like less taxes. But then I wouldn't have a job to pay taxes. <laughs> so we're in a cyclical. But if we... Um, I'm going to catch 22 right there. But if a guaranteed minimum salary for every American happens with the Democratic Party, you won't have to work. You can live in Idaho and at least a... A basic salary guaranteed to you, and you can uh, live on that, right, Brian? Isn't that one of the proposals? Uh, Andrew Yang supported yeah. the universal but he's not the basic only one. income. I actually uh, first Wait, heard we about said it we didn't want to go about politics. No, no, no. I'm, we're just we're rambling right now. Just no, a sprinkle. Okay. <laughs> what if we did? What if we what What if we talked about? We are rambling right now. I like that conversation. I'm just saying. There's so many interesting things to talk about. I don't right? want the government yeah. money. If I could grow a beard, I'd be in the hills. Grow a beard. Okay. I, on the hills. I need to correct you on something. With me and nine dogs. Okay. Well, I, I got to correct you on something. I'm which joking. I, what? The government doesn't have any money. They only hold our money. They actually don't have... <laughs> actually, they don't have any money. They have, they have a massive amount of debt, and which is our debt, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, whenever we say government money, I think we should say American citizens' money that the government manages. Borrows for free. <laughs> What's that? They borrow it for free. They borrow it for free. That's right. They don't have to pay us any interest rate. Yeah. And, but yeah, and that's the part of the problem is that people- It's crazy who, that we say we don't talk about politics, but- Well, now we're talking about economics, which is a different thing. <laughs> but there are political implications to the economics. Look, I'm good. If we're, if we're good, we're going in, but no, we're 12 no, minutes no, no, no. in, and I just wonder what the person who's driving their car right now is going, what are they saying, and what are they going to talk about? Well, I think we're just previewing 2021 and saying there's so we're, many- topics that we can talk about this year and we're going to dive in and it's going to be a lot of fun and there's so much good there's so much good we're going to talk about and and my mom is going to do an episode she is she yeah she tried to get brooke to do it with her <laughs> oh without us without us she really doesn't have any respect for our no what we bring to the table <laughs> no so when you ask us why does the kim mcmanus do it because it was a hostile takeover, and we just said no. She it was a coup, and, and I didn't even know it was being replaced. No, we found out this morning. 
from okay. from Brooke. She was like, Brooke, let's do the Bad Already podcast together. And she's like, I don't know if it works like that. <laughs> and I was like, Brooke, you should have told her like I'm already doing the Bad Already podcast. Because to your I'm mom, you're, you're still twelve. You, you, yeah. If she says get out of the chair, you get out of the chair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys are getting me in trouble. You're getting me we in are. Trouble. She doesn't listen to it, Brooke. She doesn't listen to the podcast. It's fine. Yeah. No, she was gonna listen for the first time this week. I said, don't start now. <laughs> She did yesterday, apparently, okay. but I know she didn't because she didn't respond. Yeah. And there were definitely some things that she probably would have wanted to respond to. Yeah. Um, I love my mom. She's amazing. She is. And and one day we'll have her on the podcast, and I guess Brooke will be hosting her. <laughs> um, okay, let's, should we, I don't know what we're going to talk about. What if we talked about the things we were, we, we could talk about, like, kick, I know we don't want to talk about, like, church, but what we don't want to talk about is we don't want to talk about drama. What if we talk about this new initiative we're going to do with this idea of houses? Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And even as we go there, I just wanted to highlight something that isn't that culturally important, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, James Harden has been traded from the Houston Rockets to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. And what came to my mind is... They traded like half their team. I know. And their future, too, with all these draft picks. I know. But the question came to my mind is, um, do you have... um, Do you actually get better when when you lose someone who doesn't create a great culture? Because one of the things we don't often talk about, because in sports, you look at talent, you look at team chemistry, but maybe the most important thing is culture. Because no one can deny James Harden's talent. And no one can, um, but you can deny his leadership abilities. And you can question whether he creates great team chemistry, but you know for certain he creates a terrible team culture. And so when he said, uh, you know, he was complaining because he wanted to get traded and said, I've done everything I can do. Immediately what came to my mind was, no, you didn't. You didn't win a championship. And you didn't create a great culture, and you did not lead, and you didn't create a, uh, a culture where people saw winning and coming together as a team as your highest priority. And, and I thought it was interesting because you can look across sports, and then you look across our nation, you look across companies. Culture is so important. And one of the great challenges that we've had even as a church is um, we have people all over the world asking us all the time, please open up a mosaic in our city. Please open a mosaic in our city. And and far more than um, like talent, we're really based on culture. And one of the unique things about mosaics culture is it's high value for, for creativity, for relevance, for um, a conversation that... Um, is relevant to uh, an unbeliever and not just to a believer, a place that really works on transparency and authenticity, Um, a place that's pioneering and innovative and creative. And it's it's more challenging to multiply a culture than it is to multiply a structure. Mm -hmm. If Mosaic was just about a structure, here's how you do music, here's how you do preaching, here's how you uh, organize your staff. It would be easy to replicate Mosaic. That's why I think it's easier to replicate McDonald's because McDonald's has a system and so you can have a gazillion McDonald's all over the world and it says, what, one billion, you know, customers served. One point something billion served daily. But I can't imagine Central. Served daily? Served daily, right? Daily or something insane like that. And I think about like uh, Central in, uh, was it Lima, Peru, this world-class Michelin Michelin star star restaurant. It's not open anymore. They closed? Well, he, he, he shut it, I think he shut it down to start something else. Yeah. They, they'll never get to one billion served daily. <laughs> and, uh, no. it's, it's very few people. 
and three and a half hour experience. Experiencing something that's life-changing, life-giving, extraordinary. And in many ways, a lot of churches that multiply a lot tend to be more like McDonald's or like Starbucks. And if you want to create a, a chef culture, then you're going to multiply slower and more um, with with more intentionality. And I mean, years ago, a, a church that is multiplying all over the world met with me, and they, as a staff, they said, you know, how can we become more like Mosaic? We're more like Starbucks, and we open up franchises everywhere, and you guys are more like this connoisseur coffee house. And, and craft coffee. Yeah. Craft coffee. And I said, well, first of all, um, we'd love for our, our craft coffee house to, to have more franchises across the world. So yeah. don't don't demean yourselves because you're Starbucks. You, yeah. That's just who you are. So do it really well. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been an interesting thing to watch. Like, there's a local coffee company. I think it's it's a even like a, a very clear metaphor. Like, oh, now we're like, talking about something you love. Coffee. No, I do love coffee. I also do <laughs> love basketball. But we got. But yeah. But um. But no coffee. There's a brand in L.A. Predominantly the 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 West Coast, but there is. I think they do have a flagship in a few stores on the East Coast as well. But it's called Blue Bottle, and Blue Bottle started really independent. I think one of our friends sold them their first coffee machine mm. and their first location was like oh, in the right. back house of like another restaurant. So like they have a really cool origin story. But as they sold to Nestle company like five or six years ago, I think it was like a $500 million purchase, they started growing rapidly and, you know, rapidly and 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 aggressively and like I have a lot of obviously a lot of mosaic kids work for Blue Bottle, so I'm not mm -hmm. you know it still tests. And your sister shop. loves Blue Bottle. Mariah loves it. <laughs> she, but she goes to Blue Bottle every day. I think. But when <laughs> yeah, but it was pretty clear, and they still do some things great. So I'm not knocking it. The branding is amazing, but you can see the drop in quality because there's no way you can do coffee to that level. At, at, at that aggression, like okay. level of increase in aggression. Can that I ask you an honest question? In rapid growth. What? Okay. The moment... So the quality has gone down, oh, the bigger they get. No, but... but, but Okay, I'm going to believe you. I don't know. I'm going to say I, I, I'm... Well, you, yeah. But I think you stopped liking Blue Bottle the moment they sold, even before the quality went down. No, no. No? No, no. Okay, so I was, I was yeah. I'm asking. I'm asking. Okay. No, but I'm asking. I'm asking you with the statement. question. Don't say it as a statement. Okay. Well, the statement makes it more provocative. All right. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, why are we always cutting out my statement? <laughs> so so here is the, here's the question. And, yes. And I would ask that of all of you kind of listening. Do you have a psychological shift when a mom and pop kind of craft yeah. company sells out because it's like the the band idea that the you know the musicians are great until they they sign a big contract yeah. then they yeah. sold out but yeah. they're is there, no it, longer worth your you know yeah, is there a correlation between finding something and evaluating something because it's local and then watching it become global and it losing its um, relevance and value Right. 100% yes. But with Blue Bottle, I was actually a big fan. I, mm -hmm. uh, it was never my favorite, but I always liked Blue Bottle. I went, they created the best, like they created the coolest little shops. Mm -hmm. They always found great, unique spaces. They left them very raw mm -hmm. and then brought like a modern aspect to it. When five or six years ago, when I watched it happen, the, their growth wasn't, expansion wasn't immediate. So I was, I had like asked, a few people mm -hmm. being like, okay, let's watch and see what happens and see if the quality drops over time. And I drink black coffee 
And that is, I think, the probably the best way to know whether mm-hmm. they can do black coffee or do like straight espresso mm-hmm. the most effective, right? Because when you're drinking it with oat milk and almond milk and all the milks, like you're not tasting the flavor of the coffee the same way. I don't know. I'm not a pro. I'm sure like some of our guys like Ross and, and Aaron Sellers and all these dudes can probably tell you better than I can. You and Lake can probably tell you better than I can. Um, but but my, my point is this. I... Yes, there is a mental shift because when I read, I was happy for them. I was never mad. I was like, I'm happy they got their money. So you're not against success. No, no. I'm like happy they got paid. But with that comes a diffusion in quality. Right. Right. But is that necessary? Is it necessary? I think- Is it inevitable? Well, I think with something like coffee, it it is, I think, because I, I think the things that like- like coffee really only has a certain amount of chef, like, you know, shelf life. Mm-hmm. Like at, after a certain point, I'm like, I'm always going to your house and throwing away mom's old coffee because at a certain point you can taste the difference of how long from the moment the bean was fired, which means like roasted to the point that it was grinded. And then at what, at what like coarseness, level of coarseness it was gr- ground. And then it was, so like- So you're saying I shouldn't be saving my coffee beans. No, <laughs> you should not. And you can, you can tell the difference- in smell. And I've been I, trying to be really conservative and save the coffee beans. No, you got to use it from like when you get it for the, in the first two weeks, in the first week, okay. like first week, first two weeks. It's why it's small batch. It's why it's given to you in that thing. It's why you're not buying it in huge bags unless you're a, a huge place that's making tons of coffee every day. But what I'm saying is this, is that when, when organizations, when churches expand rapidly, mm-hmm. the quality goes down. Of course, at some point it's going to, and I think there's a breaking point in which you make you make the decision of going like, is the quality going to stay high, mm-hmm. or and we're going to steer back to going like, okay, we need to get back into quality. We've done expansion, we get back to quality, or are we just going to go for, we want this brand to be the next Starbucks and everyone drinking it because Blue Bottle is a great brand and it is a great brand. Mm-hmm. See, like they didn't just create a great coffee; they created a great brand, and that is the fascinating thing. So, like we we always said. That mosaic wasn't. We could call the mega church, but really not. We're like a boutique versus a, you know, Uniqlo or Zara or H right. H&M. I'm like, we don't have that level of copy and paste, copy and paste, copy yeah. and paste. And when we try, it doesn't always work. And we've been realizing that. But we go to large churches that have the copy and paste more mentality, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not belittling their culture, but they're, they the culture is strong, so they copy and paste it. Yeah, and we see the struggles. Mm-hmm. We see them, the, the, and they're on it. Like everyone's honest about, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is something we thought was going to work for us because this is what works for us there. Right, but it doesn't because we're in a different city, a different place, different people, different culture. So I don't know what my question is. But that, yes, it does. There's a correlation and there's a value drop. Mm-hmm. I think this one, you don't have a question. You actually have the answers. That's I, don't know if I, I don't know if I have the answers. But what I would say, this, the thing I question myself on is, mm-hmm. is this the same way people look at church? That they only value, because it seems like there's two fields. Right. People who value the local church and a global vision, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not just the local church, you've sold out to being like, you need one everywhere. You're a mega church. You want to be mm-hmm. everything. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And then if you're the global guys, you you know you value the local church, but you're trying to bring them into this big global vision. So like, there's a value for both. It, it, I think your assessment and your connection of coffee to church is actually pretty accurate. Okay, and really interesting. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, um, maybe we should send you on a tour to the best coffee shops uh, across America. I'm pretty, and we'll do a battle ready on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have my favorites. 
I know what I like. Yeah. So if you uh, are listening and you own a great coffee shop and uh, you want Aaron to do a, an assessment of your coffee, send him a little bag. <laughs> no. I don't know. I'm good. No, I, you can't. You can't. Actually, coffee shops, there is like Christians love coffee. Churches love coffee. Coffee in America has incredibly upgraded because of Christianity. And That's the one of the things that the church has really, really Brought, done well. Yeah, because they do, because, you know, like church, coffee to churches is, is, is what alcohol is to a bar and to a restaurant. <laughs> it is. It's fellowship. It's like Which is it's the community. Irony. It's, is it's a, warm. An upper versus a downer. <laughs> right? Like, it is like funny. Like, everything you're trying to do in like a, in a, in a church place is, you know, is bring the energy up. And everything you're trying to do at a restaurant and a, a bar is like, okay, let's mellow it down. And it is interesting. Like, we have these like social patterns, mm-hmm. right? All right. So, I, I cannot even begin to tell you how many decades ago people would ask me, is what's going to happen? You know, is, is Mosaic going to become a mega church? And I would I always ask them, what's a mega church? And, but like a mega church, this phrase has all this baggage to it, right? And, and, and one of the things I would tell people is being a mega church is not about size. It's about cultural values. And the reason Mosaic could never be a mega church is that it has, Mosaic has never had mega church values. Mega church values are very much like the, um, the middle America kind of mall mentality. One size fits all. It's about standardization and conformity. And Mosaic has always been about uniqueness. Mosaic has always been about the individual and uh, being valued and seen for who they are. And um, standardization would be the last thing that people would ever would attribute Mosaic to. But and, there was a certain... Oh, no, keep going, finish. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't mean you don't have some kind of continuity. It doesn't mean that you don't have patterns that you... Um, that you've identified that actually make things better. Um, I mean, even craft coffee has a process that yes. is valued and followed and consistent throughout yeah. anyone who makes coffee. Yeah, and so it, that's not it at all. It's just it's just a different process and different values. And and what I always thought was interesting is that people would ask me that question about um, is when mosaic becomes a mega church, and I'd say, well. What makes a mega church? You know, when you're over a thousand, and or when you're when you're over whatever. And yeah. we were always bigger than that. People just didn't know that. Yeah. And and the reason was because we've never had a value of uh, of standardization of uh, of being like uh, seen as the the majority. Mosaic's always had more value of its intimacy, its uniqueness, its yeah, right. community. And um, but I do think it's it's a challenge because you don't want to lose the culture. Uh, when you're expanding. And and I think that you, the dilemma you've talked about with coffee, because, you know, I mean, early on, um, Starbucks was the breakout company that really made America aware of a higher end, higher value for coffee. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Like yeah. Starbucks, like I, I only, I don't drink it now mm-hmm. because I don't think the quality is... it. It doesn't. I don't have a taste for it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the quality is there. But but I'm not knocking it because I because Starbucks was the thing that like it was great at one point. Like mm-hmm. it was the best, and it was like the only. It was the only best option. Like it was either Starbucks or like Seven Eleven, like or McDonald's. And not, I'm not knocking McDonald's. Like I have a huge value for people who serve a billion and a half people daily. <laughs> like wouldn't it be great if I could do anything that served a billion and a half people at any point in time? You know, so there is like a huge value, but I'm, I'm saying is for the highest, for the best taste, mm-hmm. right? 
um, and for the highest quality product, you know, Starbucks was like the tip of the spear, mm-hmm. right? And so then there would be no none of these craft coffee places if Starbucks hadn't proven that there's a market for it. Yeah, and your mom still drinks Starbucks and it's her favorite place. And it is. And, uh, and so, so it's not bad, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think one is that we shouldn't uh, hate on one approach just because it's not what we enjoy. Yeah. It, you know, the... Because there is a snob. Okay, okay. Can I add an elitist? There's a there's an elitist snobbery to coffee, and there's an elitist snobbery to the the local church idea. Mm-hmm. Oh well, like that, that's a big machine. That's a mega yeah. church. I don't wear that. Mm-hmm. I am a part of the snobbery elitism, but we're also of coffee of coffee. But I've also <laughs> been but I've also been yeah. blamed for standardizing certain aspects of church that we could copy the culture and bring it to another space. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there is that fight of like, how do you stay local and then how do you still innovate and grow? And you were really the innovator and you were a lot of times th- the reason why we like grow because you create such an open culture, but has, how has our two different, cause I, what I've said is that you've created the ship and then you've let all of these different people like figure out how it's going to be filled with different cultures and different ideas mm-hmm. and the way like we navigate certain aspects. But you're really the driving force of how the church is run. You always have been. You're the visionary and the leader. But how do you do both? How do you lead or can you do both? Like I want to ask you this because like mm-hmm. I've seen it from a coffee side, but how does it work from from a church side or an organizational side? Like can you still get to that place where you're massive and still small? I think you can have massive influence and still have intimate community. Okay. And that's a part of the the drive for us is to make sure that we um, have the greatest impact on culture in the world that we can. Right. And at the same time, that everywhere where there's an expression of mosaic, it's authentic and real and, and human and, and built on relationships and community. Mm. And it, that's not easy. It's really, really challenging, mm-hmm. I think. And um, So how do you create a culture that can do both? Well, I think that what you do is you start with the culture and you start with what do you want it to look like at every stage along the way. And uh, and and you'll have to fight it because the, one of the unique things about church is different than a company is in a company you're hiring people. Uh, and you're being selective in the hiring process. You do interviews, and you can actually protect your culture in the hiring process. In the church, it's a everyone's welcome culture, come as you are. And so everyone's coming to church bringing their own culture and, or, and bringing their own crisis and bringing their own corruption and bringing the mess of them. So when you're talking about a church culture, it's so much more dynamic because you, especially if you have thousands of people uh, you have no idea where they're where they're at, where, where they've come from. You have to create such an intensive process to help people grow, and 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 then all of a sudden you you now have almost like mor- moral responsibility for all these people who identify th- themselves with you, even though you may have never even met them or do not know them. Right. And and so I think it's so much more complicated in church life. Right. And. Uh, and so you have to really work hard at communicating and transmitting values, which is why we have always had these five core values that kind of drive our church. And it doesn't mean that you always achieve them. It doesn't mean that you're always uh, living up to them, but it means that you never give up 
the struggle to living out those values. Mission is why the church exists. Yeah, that, that this is... The, Relativity to culture. Uh, Re- re- relevance to culture is not optional. Yeah, that love is the context for all mission. What's the th- fourth and fifth one? And the creativity is the natural Cre- result of spirituality. That's the one I've always had an issue with. Uh-huh. And that structure and must always submit to spirit. That's my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> and the last two are my favorite. I'm blanking now because I was... So relevancy. The, what did I, you, did I say? Well, relativity to culture. We teach these, but... We, yeah, relevance to culture is not optional. But yeah. that one, I think, has actually changed the church. Yeah. And then and then I... Like, that one was the most obvious thing, I think, that changed the church. And then creativity, is the, the natural, natural result of spirituality, spirituality is the one I think the church had the hardest time with. Oh, everybody thought I was a heretic when I laid that one out. Well... <laughs> and uh, now it's common language. Yeah. Now it's seen as a common framework for the church. Of course, the church is supposed to be creative. And then I think the one that is probably the most anchoring to the replication of our culture mm-hmm. is um, structure must submit to spirit. Mm-hmm. Because we talk, I, like, I've taught this, I have the privilege of talking about these, and I hated these growing up. I didn't hate them. I like, you know, like when you're growing up and you tell us all the rules, you're like, I don't agree with that one. And then we'd always argue with them. And then you Mm -hmm. you were always so kind, right? And, but now I like, I get to be on the team that like goes to new cities and like, Mm -hmm. we talk about these core values and it's something that's super important. But the last time I got to talk about it was in Seattle when they were starting. Mm -hmm. And we, um, we, I got to talk about structure, must submit to spirit. Right. And that, this idea that, that, you know, when I think, and I, it's so great that you brought up the, the five core values of Mosaic because that is the one that I think lets us replicate Mosaic's culture. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, we have this structure. Yes, this is how we do a service Yes, or a gathering. Yes, mm-hmm. this is how we do groups or connection or mm-hmm. community. Or, But then it's got to submit to spirit and the spirit of, 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 of not just the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the culture and of the people and mm-hmm. the room. And like not everything is a copy-paste situation, so you've got to roll with it. And that's mm-hmm. what that that has always been. It's like you have to have this ability to improvise, mm-hmm. to to know that it not the world is not the same, and to like bring a spirit to the structure. Mm-hmm. And I I love this idea, and I think that is the thing that kills great organizations, mm-hmm. right? Because the spirit I think of Blue Bottle was still to be a great craft com- coffee company, right? And they're losing it with this rapid growth and aggressive like rapid and aggressive growth. But it's something that, that doesn't have to be lost, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it has to be lost. I think it's always it's always fragile. But it's it's fragile if you don't grow, because if you talk to me about that, because one. if you don't grow, you're not actually living out those values. Interesting. And and so when people go, yeah, but aren't you endangering your culture if you keep growing mosaic? I go, no, I'm endangering our culture if we don't grow mosaic. Because a culture, by definition, is something that's active and alive and growing. So you had, because you had an interesting like crossroads where people, pe- people who were attracted to Mosaic were local, ch- were like small church people, mm-hmm. but you were not a small church voice. Mm-hmm. You were always people were always drawn to you. Yeah, they thought and I drawn was drawn to like the mission and drawn to the things. And yeah, they thought I was against mega churches, and I kept saying I'm not against mega churches. Yeah, and uh, they they have a very very specific function, just like malls. You know, yeah. and uh, I understood the Mall of America in, uh, you know, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I mean, when right. it's, when you have Minnesota winters, you want to create a city that's indoors <laughs> and, you know, and it, I don't understand of all of America in Miami where you have great weather or right. in Los Angeles and it's right. a different kind of context, but... Um, AC. 
You're going to show it's true, yeah. But I like to walk and not sweat. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, years ago, I remember I was in a room with these with pastors, and and they were all criticizing all these mega church pastors. I mean, that's what you know they were doing in the back room, and that's what small minded people. And I just finally said, hey, why don't we just accept the fact that they're more gifted than us, and yeah. uh, that God just gave them the the leadership capacity to do way more. And the reason you're criticizing them is because you're jealous. And you just haven't owned the fact that you want what they have. And so since you can't achieve it, uh, you have to criticize it. So I never want to criticize someone who's able to accomplish something different than what I've accomplished. But my goals have been different. And and some of it is maybe if I want to use like coffee language, like who's my customer? Mm. If the customer of Starbucks is everyone who is entry level and there are billions of people in this world right. that they're introducing coffee to, Right. They're going to have a much larger audience. If um, if my customer as a craft coffee shop is that connoisseur of coffee, that person who knows the difference, who can taste the difference, yeah. like you're kind of wasting a great wine on someone like me. You're wasting. You you might be wasting yeah. a great coffee on someone like me. You're, you, you know. No, you can tell the difference. Yeah, I, you've I, I just can. been. You've just been. You've been conditioned <laughs> by the by the Green Mermaid Lady. <laughs> and, uh, um, you. There are certain things that, you know, I can tell the difference. Right. And there's certain things that, you know, I haven't taken the, the effort to refine myself. But you can tell the difference between, like, cooking meat and grilling meat. Like, you go yeah. to a, a local butcher. Mm-hmm. I do. I, That's I, kind of do a local ranch. I go get my meat very carefully, and I make sure my yeah. chicken is free range and that yeah. there's no hormones. and Yeah, and you're, like, very specific about where it comes from. I am, because I know that I can't... That I'm not a great chef. I'm aspiring to be one, but I cannot even be a good one if I start with a bad product. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to have the material matters. And uh, Interesting. But, then, but does the material matter? Can I, like, I, I know it does. I'm asking. This is a, a leading question. The, does material matter? Because there's so many churches in the suburb. Cause we're always amazed, right? Mm-hmm. And amazed by this meaning, like, we're always trying to figure out how do we grow and keep our culture and we don't worry too much about the culture because I think it's built on like good things. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, the culture is going to continue. But we go to these suburb churches and we're like, how do they have this building? How do they have 1,000 parking spaces? How are people just, you know, and like I am not knocking a single church in the culture. Sometimes the messages are not the most interesting. So it isn't, the, it isn't but is it because the, the gospel is attractive? And so if you're living in a suburb and you're like, they have all these things – the gospel is attractive. They seem like good people. They're trustworthy. Like, why do they grow like crazy? Like, what is, what is the difference? Well, I'm just trying to be so careful, but my thoughts, you know, I mean, I, when I listen, like, if I were not we can, a follower of Jesus, right, I would say Christian preaching is feels like McDonald's. But you came to church, you came to Jesus at a church that was more McDonald's. It was, it was, it was a mega church. Like a mega, mega church. In Orlando. Yeah. But the preacher was uh, from Tennessee, and he was very down-to-earth and very warm, and I'd never heard any preaching in my whole life, so okay. I didn't know. Maybe that's the thing, is if you think there's only one McDonald's, 
You know, it's, there's a, it's, it's, it's different, but I'd never been, I'd never, but if you've, but I'd if, never been in a church in my whole life. Right. So there's no, so, you've, so you don't know what a cheeseburger is. I didn't so know. So you go to McDonald's, you're like, what is this round circular heaven piece? Yeah. And I didn't know all the jokes he was telling 10,000 other preachers were telling. I thought he was the only one. The only one. Right. Yeah. They were actually his jokes. And so I was the perfect customer because I'd never had a cup of coffee before. Uh, yeah. you, you know, I, uh, yeah, yeah. like, I remember when, um, I never had sushi. Rick Yamamoto, who's a friend of mine, um, said, I'm going to introduce you to sushi. And I thought, well, no one better than my Japanese friend, right? You know? And so he tricked me. Right. He took me to a sushi bar in, uh, in Little Tokyo. And all he gave me the first time was California rolls. There's no sushi in it. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew that the first thing he had to do is get me past the psychological barrier. Oh, wow. And so my first experience with sushi... <laughs> I didn't know this story. This was is amazing. rice avocados, you know. <laughs> and I don't know what else they put in that California roll. And it was awesome. And I and he taught me how to use chopsticks, so I felt like I was a part of the culture and and uh, and how to you know mix my wasabi with, with soy sauce and everything else. And I felt, I felt like I was... In this authentic experience, and uh, and then little by little, he introduced me to um, raw tuna and you know like yellow rice, tail and, then, and, and then raw, and then and uh, and then he invited. I was invited to just go speak by him at this Wall Street event in San Francisco, and he said, "Now tonight there's going to be like the best sushi in the world." And I'd never had anything so amazing. I mean, the sushi melted in my mouth, and I wanted to die from the experience. It was so extraordinary, and I've been addicted to sushi ever since. And I can tell the difference. And sometimes I just eat sushi going, I know this isn't the best, but at least it's okay. Yeah, this isn't the idea of sushi, not not sushi. And But he he coached me, he mentored me. Yeah. He developed my taste. He helped me through the barriers <clears throat> and made me a connoisseur. And I think that what happened to me in my own faith journey was I'd never been to church. I'd never heard a sermon. I never heard anybody talk about the Bible opening it up. Uh, I thought the hymns were weird. I thought the fact that they had hymn books in every pew and no Bibles was very odd, that they valued the hymn book more than the Bible. Um, I couldn't connect to the songs. They felt like German marching songs or something like that to me. And um, and so all the experience because hymns were based off of right. It, it didn't songs. relate to me. Right. It, 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 but so it did. But when, but the messages. Kind of did because he was interesting, he was intriguing, he was funny. Uh, there was something that was compelling, and there was always something that spoke to me at a deeply spiritual level. Yeah, and uh, and I and I still didn't wouldn't go back. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, you know, I would get tricked back once a month. You know, I would you know get pulled back by a friend or family member, and little by little, I was more engaged and. What mattered began to speak to me in the message. Mm. So I do know that a church that was essentially culturally irrelevant to me actually helped me come to a faith in Jesus. Yeah. And so I, I always say that love covers a multitude of irrelevance <laughs> because they were incredibly loving and yeah. very real. Yeah. And they invited me to birthday parties and events and play volleyball and hay rides. And I got to know people. And it was the people that really won me over. And that's, an, that's an interesting thing that you say that because, right, because it is the community that kind of – that like the message can be irrelevant or the most mag, like magnetic thing in the world. But if there's no one likable in the room, 
you won't stay. Right. Because the people before and after are the reasons why you stay, the reasons why you can, how you connect. And, and only so many people can connect to a singular person, right? But I, I think about it too like this. I'm like, you said that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best message, or, but it was, it was the inv- invitation. It was the connection. It was mm-hmm. you had never experienced this before. But I do think there's something you can, you can learn from the mega church or the, the big organization or the mm-hmm. 1.6 billion served daily because like <laughs> – you know, I would have never walked into a like. You know, you go. I think. I think in life, when you're like in your twenties, at least for me, I was an elitist. <laughs> you know, like you drive an hour out of your way to get the best coffee. You do this, this, and this, and then as you grow older, you realize so much of it becomes about function. <laughs> and so, like, I don't knock suburban churches because they realize that like they're having to deal with four kids or two to four kids. And working all day and then coming home, they are they are trying to create the most streamlined, functional way of doing things. And there's a lot of brilliance to it. Yeah. And like a I, lot of parents are like, just make my kids happy and I'll go yeah. to your church. <laughs> and, and so like right. I love seeing that because I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I we have the luxury of like we get to experience a lot of great clothing brands and like so many brands that we're introduced to for the first time mm-hmm. because we're in LA and it's local and it shows up in a like little pop-up. But I still go like... I there is no question. I, like I love your sweatpants, but I still buy Walmart ten dollars sweatpants because they're freaking good. They fit good. You can destroy them, and then I wear your sweatpants when I'm going somewhere nice. What's so funny is this morning I was throwing out a pair of socks, and I thought it's. We were laughing about this <laughs> last night because we were in the same pair <laughs> of socks. They're our favorite socks. They're Hanes, and we bought them at Target, and they're probably the cheapest socks in the world, and they're just so comfortable. So I'm and wearing Hanes so socks right now. Me too. And <laughs> and so it's not always about finding the thing that's the most expensive. It's finding the thing that really works for you. Right, and, and it isn't always about the coolest thing, I think, also, too. Like, like sometimes sometimes the coolest thing isn't the softest. Sometimes the coolest thing isn't make the most sense. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, I think it's, it is about how... I don't know what the ultimate thing we leave people with. No, I think this what is, is it? it, is that um, one of the things that you can, where you can you see a movement, like there's there's definitely been a coffee movement across the world, which means there was actually, in that sense, um, there was a customer for it. Right. And there was a, I, I'll use the word loosely, but there was a need for it. Um, people wanted, there was a demand for it. And when you ask me about Mosaic and, how we create the culture. I specifically gave my life to create a culture for the cultural outsider, for the innovator, the intuitive, the pioneer, the entrepreneur, the artist, the creative. I wanted to create a culture that was magnetic and receptive to the person who would maybe become an atheist or an agnostic or a Buddhist Mm -hmm. or... um, or maybe just hold on to a spirituality, but think that religion was suspect because they never experienced it in a way that made sense to them. And so I, I didn't create Mosaic to compete with great mid-America churches that provide great church for people who have a very specific culture. Right. And that's why you don't want to judge things because your your culture needs to, to match the customer you're trying to reach, in a right. sense. And when people say, we're trying to reach everyone, as a writer, people always go, you know, um, who are you writing your book for? And when the person says for everyone, you know they don't have a book. Right. And when, you, when, you're, when you're writing for a very specific audience, it has a chance of being accessible to 
a much broader audience. But you have to write someone specifically. And Mosaic definitely was created for people in this new world of thinking. But what is, and that's why I came to LA to do it. But what we've discovered is that those people are all over, all, are all over the world and they're all over the Midwest and they're all over the South and all over the East and they're in Europe and in Africa and Asia and South America. And, and I think, I don't know if we mentioned it at the beginning, but we get invitations and requests every week, people begging us to open up a mosaic somewhere around the yeah, world. Yeah. And so this is what we're talking about and this is what we're leading to, this is what we're going to leave people with, is that especially with the the revolution in 2020 of losing the opportunity to gather together physically, the church had to become even more resilient and innovative and become dynamically connected through social media and through the internet and through um, uh, a virtual world. And what's, what that means, though, is the person who goes to Mosaic in L.A., is just as close to our church as a person going to Mosaic in London or a person going to Mosaic in New York or right, Paris right. or Berlin and or Cape Town or wherever it may be. And so we wanted to we wanted to actually step into that reality and go we want to identify you and help you connect to this tribe, this community and be a part of Mosaic realistically as much from wherever you are in the world as anyone here in LA. And so we're, we're opening up this idea of mosaic houses in cities across the world. And if you are part of mosaic, but you live in Europe or a part of mosaic, but you live in South America or in Asia, or wherever you may be. Or in Kansas City. Or in Kansas City. Chicago. Or, you know. Miami. Wherever Atlanta, you may be. Yeah. Chicago. Dallas. Uh, Vancouver. Toronto. You know. Yeah. And you would like to be officially connected to Mosaic and um, and, op and be a part of our opening up houses in your city, then we want to encourage you to contact us because we're, we're putting in a really, I think, powerful and beautiful process to help you connect to the church as a whole and to be a part of creating this kind of culture wherever you are in the world. Yeah, I think the way, and if you're thinking, if, if you're hearing this and you're, you're this is the first time we've talked about this publicly. It is. It's a shift in our sh our culture, a shift in our focus that we're going. Okay, if we don't, if we're not meeting globally or locally for another year, probably who knows when? Mm -hmm. It could lift in a day, it could lift in months. Then we're going to put this focus on opening up as many houses as we can across the world. And a house meaning um, you and your friends. A house could mean you inviting people that you meet into your world. The house could mean just you and a roommate or you and your family. But we want to create um, a space where we can connect mm -hmm. and a space where we can have proper feedback. There will be some incentives like conversations with you and conversations with our staff, like, like staff people who have helped develop the culture of Mosaic. And we want to create spaces in cities all over the globe because I think it's changing the way we do church and the way we have connectedness. And you can be in New York and there may not be a Mosaic campus, but that shouldn't stop the way we connect to the to the messaging that we resonate with. Mm -hmm. um, where I think in the past it has. Church has been traditional where it's like where I can go on a Sunday right. or on a Wednesday is where I feel connected to. It's like, no, it's like now you can connect through an app and you can connect through a through a through a video. You can, and then you, and then there's a space where you can connect as part of like a mosaic house. Mm -hmm. And so if you're listening to this and you're going, okay, how do I get connected? Go to the Instagram at mosaic 
and DM at Mosaic. And I'll be checking it. Tess will be checking it. And we'll start connecting with people in different cities. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and if you want to do this or so not. So where do they go? To at Mosaic on Instagram and DM that account. Okay. Yeah. Because so, don't go to Bad Ready. We want you to go to Bad Ready, but that'll be overwhelmed. Go to at Mosaic. Right. And a team will, will reach out to connect with yeah, you. Yeah, we're going to be meeting even today uh, just to keep moving this forward. But I'm excited because when we know where we have houses across the world, we know where to focus. And so when people say, hey, are you ever going to open up anything more in Barcelona? Or are you going to ever travel here? Yeah. Like, um, we'll know where, where to go, where to go, where to put our emphasis, where to put our energy, yeah. and where to put our resources. And um, and, and I think the, it's br- exciting to me. It is exciting. And you gave a message called 52 Hertz a while yeah. back and talking about this, like the idea of the lonely whale that that travels the world mm-hmm. and it's on a and it and it speaks in a unique frequency and it's that 52 hertz frequency mm-hmm. and i think that's mosaic across the world it is people who go to other churches or don't go to church at all mm-hmm. and they just have a different frequency and so there's this is their this is the moment where we're going to connect to the 52 hertz the 52 hertz frequency to each other and to the whole and so we'll know f- and we'll build a system and a back end where we will all be connected in a beautiful way. And I think it is. this is the time to move it from social media because I think social media is so insanely destructive and unhealthy mm-hmm. that this is the time where we are going to create a channel. So we are connecting, we are messaging, mm-hmm. we are having time. And I think this is the future of the church. I think it's the future of our church. And of course, we're going to strive to be in person. Mm-hmm. Like we look forward to that day. But I do think there's something really special about this new wave of doing church. Yeah, and I think that it also lets you know that you don't have to be alone. Yeah. And that there are people who are with you and for you, and we can create a process where people can be praying for each other, even though they're in cities across the world, and and, and be praying for your city and your area and for your friends who don't know Jesus. And... um, and finding a way to bring the approach toward faith that we have that is very unique. And um, there are not a lot of expressions of faith like Mosaic in the world, and I'm going to say that. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're listening and you're like, I am Mosaic, but I'm in Berlin, we want to know you, we want to know that you're there, and we want to identify you, and we want you to join this And we want you to feel as connected to us as you are locally in LA. Absolutely. Um, okay. I'm excited. I think the question that I've learned from this thing is I'm I'm no longer going to judge the person who goes to Starbucks and ask the question of like, what is it about Starbucks that you like? Mm-hmm. So that I can learn from the person who's going like, no, this is my thing mm-hmm. and this is why I like it. And I think I think we can all learn from each other. And I guess we're, we're really opening up craft coffee shops across the world. <laughs> <laughs> we just know, we want to know where, where our baristas are. Yeah. And with that, I want a co- another coffee. All right. Hey, this has <laughs> been right. fun. This has been a fun one. I'm more lighthearted, I think. I think we could title this one, Mr. Coffee California Sushi Man. Oh, how about we just call it Mosaic Houses? Mosaic Houses. It was crazy, though, because one of our guys walked in right before we started this conversation on sushi is, like, not connected, and Nick used to be a sushi chef. What? Yeah. So mm, here we go. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. If you um, – Aaron McManus, people are asking about merch.
Yeah, keep asking. We will drop soon. Um, we are figuring it out. I didn't want to drop it during like a, a heavy week. Yeah, I wasn't in I the space. I had stuff. I didn't want to make it feel like we were trying to be advantageous to something that's heavy. But we will drop. Um, you can rate and review this episode on iTunes and you can listen to on Spotify. You can watch on YouTube. You can leave a comment. Um, we're really grateful for every person who reaches out, every person who supports this podcast, every person who posts and reposts and mentions us and your stories. Uh, our Instagram is at battle ready podcast on Instagram and our email is Aaron at battle ready podcast.com. There is a lot of emails and I'm grateful. I don't respond to all of them, but no, I see them and I'm really, really thankful. Have a great day. See you on Tuesday. Tuesday.